You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Well, Shank, so far, it is not looking real good for the 12 by 12 in the battle of the books. Looking pretty bad. Pretty, it's pretty, pretty bleak. Four rounds to zero. I'm, 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 I'm wondering if later in the rounds, if the 12 and 12 is going to make a comeback. Maybe. Maybe after that seventh step. Maybe after the seventh step. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, we've got a cool guest on today. He's, uh, he hails from a place called Fayetteville. Not many people can claim that status, but he can. So, uh, anyway, Ricky, what's happening? Much guys. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so my name is Rick. Uh, as Jerry mentioned, I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Not too many of us uh, made it out of there. Uh, I was one of the few. <laughs> uh, sobriety dates June 2nd of 2020. That was the last day that I drank, not the uh, first day sober. Nice. Uh, that counts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, a little bit uh, – I guess my way to finding myself to AA was really, I just ruined a bunch of relationships, finances and made a mess of things. And, uh, I was kind of forced to go to a treatment center. I, I wasn't really interested in getting sober, but some family members thought it would be a good idea. And, uh, I ended up there and I was introduced to the program, Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I, I kind of hung out in AA for five years before I, uh, you know, really decided to do the things you guys were suggesting I do. So it's a long time just to be so, hanging around AA. It sure is. Yeah. Five years. Some, sometimes. Well, I, it wasn't like I wasn't hanging out the whole five years. It's like I'd pop in for a couple months, see what you guys were oh. up to. And then I'd, so in that, and I want to be clear to the listeners, that is not a representation of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's more of a representation of just, you know, how stubborn I am. Right. Yep. Well, we're grateful for your family that they stayed in there and tried to help you. Family gets bad rap a lot of times in AA, but for many AA members, if it wasn't for the family, a lot of folks wouldn't be sober. It's very true. So we're going to send them a virtual chip in your honor <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Shank, what's the topic? All right. Our topic today is down the scale. So we have been going through the promises during this season. If you want to hear any of the following or any of the previous um, breakdown of each sentence of the previous four episodes, please go listen to those. Today, we are on the fifth sentence, which is, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. <laughs> what, what is 
I mean, I never paid much attention to the word scale until we did this. What, what does that mean? That term mean, do we really have a good definition of it? You know, that's a great question, Jerry. Thank you so much for asking that. Um, there are about 500 definitions of scale (laughs) that I read from several different dictionaries and, The best that I can figure what this means, uh, if you're listening and you do not agree, please email us at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. But um, the best I can figure is a set of numbers, amounts, et cetera, used to measure or compare the level of something Hmm. down the scale. Down the scale. So like... On a scale of one to 10, how amazing is this podcast? Right. It's a 10, baby. It's, it's a, 10, a 10. For sure. Yeah, of course <laughs> it's a 10. Yes. However, there are um, several others. So to climb up or reach by means of a ladder, that would probably fit for this also. Um, if you're at the top of the scale, how far down the scale we have gone? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, to pattern, make, regulate, set, or estimate according to some rate or standard. Okay. You know what would probably clear that up a little bit? What? Plain language uh, translation of a big book. But I don't know <laughs> that it would because... It would just clear it up completely. Like, okay, I don't know that it would. So you can scale anything. I think for this to be defined in any particular way would probably hinder people getting sober. Not that you couldn't, but for it to be used as a set of numbers, amounts to measure or compare, you know, some people like myself, you know, if you scaled up my felonies or scaled down my felonies i may not be able to be a member of alcoholics anonymous probably wouldn't be able to so ricky how far down the scale did you go tell us a little bit and i i wish i uh i paid a lot of attorneys to try and scale down some of my charges and didn't succeed most of the time but um be careful you're gonna make shank mad (laughs) i was right there with shank oh okay yeah, we, uh, well, maybe not. I've heard stories, but I, uh, man, like I, like I mentioned, um, kind of in my introduction, I, I took it pretty far. You know, there wasn't a lot of hope going on in my hometown. Not a lot of, uh, just, and I remember thinking about that in my younger years, man, just like it just seemed kind of like a, uh, like somewhere I just wanted to escape. And, and I found that through alcohol and, um, and I just was relentless with it and I, I refused to give it up. That was the one thing that I, you know, really at the time that I thought allowed me to even survive, you know, I really didn't want to survive and be sober. Um, so alcohol allowed me to just kind of exist. And, um, uh, to me, it just, it, over that five year stint, you know, of when the cat was out of the bag and everybody kind of knew, I think, I think Rick's got a problem. Um, that next five years, it was just, you know, me ruining relationships with family, um, with significant others, couldn't hold down a job, um, and, and just really had no will to live or to do anything productive with my life other than just like lie, steal and cheat people. 
And what that looked like towards the end was I just ended up uh, sleeping in the front seat of a 2008 Toyota Tacoma, which is a great truck. I kind of wish they would give me a sponsorship because <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a good salesman for that truck. Me and that truck have been through a lot of stuff. Uh, and I say that jokingly, but the reality was at the time that it was a uh, that was the only thing that was like one of the only worldly possessions that I had and somehow managed to keep throughout my entire alcoholic addiction was just to, uh, and really I kept that just out of necessity. I needed it to get around and make moves, but my, my, my grandmother, Saint, she is, she really had just cut me off. And, um, my dad was pretty done with me and rightfully so, right? Like they love me, but I had just done so much harm to them. So, uh, and then the jails and institutions thing, and I can't even count how many times I've spent uh, little stints in, in jail, uh, n- numerous rehabs over those years, and probably twice as many detoxes. Um, just it wasn't that I didn't have the opportunity to get sober, the same, you know, things that I have to me today. It's just I was, you know, the book talks about sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. and takes a lot for me to really get willing, I guess. Mm -hmm. How far down the scale did you go, Wayne? Well, not as far as both y'all did. Um, Well, it says no matter how far. So you guys are, you guys are way down the scale. (laughs) You might be off the scale. (laughs) We're nil on the scale. You are nil, negative nil. If that's Mm -hmm. such of a thing. Well, I was walking down the road, basically homeless. And, uh, I mean, I had places to stay, but they weren't mine. And uh, owed money and had people out to get me and had a few pending charges down at the courthouse. Um, I guess more importantly, though, I had lied to everybody and I was unreliable and... Uh, you know, attempted suicide three times, tried lots of ways to quit drinking and none of them were successful. So I, I, uh, I'd say I went pretty far down the scale. This is, it's probably not what y'all expect me to say, but I, I did end up in prison. However, prior to that, I had never been in trouble. So getting to, to read something like this, like no matter how far down the scale we have gone, I mean, truthfully, if I had arrived to AA at any other point, um, prior to committing crimes, you know, like I'm glad that it is framed in this way because I know plenty of people that, you know, the furthest they went down the scale was flunking out of 10 universities, which may be pretty far down to them. But it may not be. Right. You know, there, there's always this comparison in AA about who's better, who, who's worse, or should you be here? Is that person really an alcoholic? I've certainly been guilty of it at times because their outside circumstances look so good, um, especially compared to mine, like where I ended up. But previous to that, um, to those crimes, like I, I really didn't have any experience with being in trouble or... Um, of course, I would lie, cheat, and steal, but oh, not you did, the, huh? Not in the felonious, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, okay, um, 
you know, I think it's really important uh, how this is written. And I think it's really yeah. important to the integrity of AA that it, it stay how it is written. Because yeah. there are plenty of people who didn't reach maybe what the three of us did, who are still alcoholics, who their life was absolutely terrifying to them. And that may have meant, you know, they lost some money or they didn't get into a college they wanted to or they got kicked out of a college, which to me, I'm like, ah, I would have been fine, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that, Shank. I think, too, sometimes um, I think about, like, the longer I've stayed sober, the more I look back at, at my life in that time period. And, and it seems completely insane to me today. And it seems like, yeah, that's a crazy way to live life. Um, at the time, I didn't feel like my life was that far down the scale at all. You know, my delusional mind was telling me that, like, ah, I could still somehow pull myself out of this. Now, the more time I get sober, it's like I feel like every year that goes by, the, the crazier that actually seems to me that I was even able to survive in that those set of circumstances and think I could keep it going somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. So being that we're talking about these promises and the night stuff, you know, it goes on to say, we will see how our experience can benefit others. So of course, I feel like the theme of this season is just the dictionary. Um, but benefit is, when I looked it up, means to be useful or profitable to, or something that produces good or helpful results or effects, or that promotes good well-being. So, Rick, what is one? Uh, what's an amend that you made that allowed you to help other alcoholics to benefit them? Uh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> sorry if my voice sounds a little raspy too. I'm like I said, I'm a little under the weather, but um, I think all of them. Uh, definitely equipped me to help other alcoholics. You know, I think each of them was a unique experience, but one that really stands out to me the most uh, was the amends I had to make to my father. Um, that was one that I put off uh, as long as I possibly could um, because I had done a lot of harm to him, said a lot of horrible things. And my, uh, my fears got in the way of that for a long time. And I just kept saying, well, you know, he's not ready to receive it. And all the excuses that I get from sponsees now that why they can't go and just do this amends. And, uh, but I think that that one probably helped me, uh, be more prepared to help other guys. And, and really, because I think that amends when I finally made it, that was when like the promises, those nice step promises really, not that I hadn't experienced them before uh, in some amends, but that one, it was just like a, a spiritual experience, I guess. Just, um, I don't know. I'll give you the nutshell. I'm not going to drag you guys through the whole detailed version of it, but I, I put it off for probably a year and a half close to it. Um, and my sponsor didn't really press me on it too much. He knew it was something that was coming. And uh, I met with him one Sunday because I got a phone call that Saturday night that my father had been put in the hospital. Um, and he has a lot of health issues and, and we really weren't sure. And the, this is from the doctor. We weren't sure that he was going to actually pull through. It was kind of a roll of the dice, whether, um, you know, he was going to make it through this one. It was heart issues, which he struggled with in the past. So, uh, I met with my sponsor every Sunday. And so that next morning I still business as usual. I drove out there and I sat down with him and, you know, I started telling him what was going on. And he said, you know, I would, 
I wouldn't waste any time sitting here talking to me. I would get up, get in your truck right now, drive back to Fayetteville and go be with your dad and make that amends. Because if you don't, uh, you'll never, you'll probably never forgive yourself if you let this moment pass and you, and you don't have the opportunity to make it. And so I did. I remember it was a rainy day and I drove all the way back to Fayetteville and I went to the hospital room that he was in and my stepmom had stepped out for a bit. So it was just me and him. And he wasn't fully conscious. Uh, and I was, but he, like he could, he wasn't verbal. He was kind of sedated and uh, I was able to make that amends and he did respond to it, which means, you know, you know, we all thought he was just kind of in la la land, but when he heard that, I could see his responses and, um, and, you know, thank God he pulled through I and mean, give you guys the good news. He pulled through, but um, the reality is I put that off and I, and I, I let him kind of suffer for the, that year and a half too of like not trying to clean up my wreckage. Cause I had done a lot of damage. Mine and my dad's relationship was probably the most strained. Um, and so I, I, what I realized though, was that like relationships can be prepared, repaired uh, through making that amends. Right. Like I thought we had gotten to a good place cause I had gotten sober and changed some things, but I'd never really sat down and talked to him one-on-one about a lot of the things that I'd done and tried to make that right. And, uh, after doing that, you know, he pulled through, he came out of the hospital. We were, we were able to have a follow-up conversation. And I think it really cleared the air a lot to the point that me and my dad and my stepmom are downstairs right now watching my daughter. And uh, I'm closer to my dad than I've ever been, even when I was a child, I think now. And and I don't think that would be possible without that amends, which, you know, just prepared me to help other guys because like now I know it's tangible, right? Like without a shadow of a doubt, these promises are real if we work for them. Mm-hmm. How about you, Wayne? Well, I've got lots of experience that has benefited others, and a lot of it hadn't benefited anybody. Um, and I mean, it, it amends with parents, and um, one that popped in my head though was was actually one when I, I mean, I was sober and was stealing money from work. I think they, they call that embezzlement if you're out there listening. Um, but I was, you know, sober four or five years and, and went back to my employer and turned myself in and made an amend, you know, made an amends for it. And, you know, I got through it. It, it wasn't easy, but that, that experience of being sober and basically screwing up and staying sober through it and, and trying to correct it. I have used that one quite a bit with helping other, other AA members that have, you know, have either stolen money from work or have done similar things sober that they're either ashamed of, or, you know, they're afraid to, to disclose it or afraid to go back. Um, so that that one I, th- I think is uh, just pops in my head now about a specific one that I've been able to use to to help other people. I think the the whole sentence though kind of gets at what Alcoholics Anonymous is all about. I mean, it's one alcoholic helping another, and when we get here, we think we're we're bad and we're the worst ever, and that we're never going to be able to do anything with good purpose. And the worst things that happen to us end up, you know being some of the most powerful things that actually helps somebody else. So Shank. 
Well, you know, I, I think what I think of, of course, is, um, having to go to prison and the things surrounding that. And for me, like when I left prison, I was convinced I will never go back in any capacity, which is good for the general public. I probably need to be sober. I would like to continue being sober. I knew I needed to participate in AA, but even when I was out of prison for a while, I did not tell people that I had been in prison and I just wanted to shut the door on it. I wanted to never bring it up again and just say, well, yeah, I was like gone for a year or something. Um, And I tried to skate by with that. And I did for a while until I had a sponsor say, you know, hey, you have this opportunity to be helpful to people. You've been complaining that you don't hear anyone, quote, tell your story, but it's because like you're not being honest. Of course, you're not going to hear it. And um, when I once I was able, really, I guess I'd. Once I didn't have so much guilt and shame over what I had done um, through working the steps on it and listening and hearing the truth about myself, um, I've been able to hopefully help many people. Um, the majority of the time, it's women who reach out to me who think that they're going to go to prison. And I know they're probably not going to. Uh, their attorney probably knows they're not going to. But I'm still able to be useful in that way and not be um, upset or bitter about it because contrary to maybe what a lot of people think, I don't I don't wish or want people to have to go to prison. Like if that's your consequences, there you go. But um, know that. Uh, <laughs> but it's not fun. OK, like it was not just like a happy, silly time. It was quite difficult. And so anyone who can make amends and benefit others and get sober without having to do that. Like that is, that's the preferred method, I believe. Yeah. Shank, let's move on to battle of the books. Let's get ready to rumble. All right, Ricky. Ricky, you ready? Get ready. Buckle up. It. I like a good battle. All right. <laughs> So we have Battle of the Books, Step 5, Round 5. So far, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is undefeated. The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous has won four rounds. Here we go. This is the Big Book versus the 12 by 12. All right. We have page 75 from the Big Book. And this is what it says. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> All right. And then we have the 12 by 12. This is from page 62. And it says, Provided you hold back nothing, your sense of relief will mount from minute to minute. The damned up emotions of years break out of their confinement and miraculously vanish as soon as they are exposed. As the pain subsides, a healing tranquility takes its place. 
And when humility and serenity are so combined, something else of great moment is apt to occur. Many an AA, once agnostic or atheist, tells us that it was during this stage of step five that he first actually felt the presence of God. And even those who had faith already often become conscious of God as they never were before. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what do y'all think? What What does that mean when humility and serenity are so combined? It's like he's just making stuff up to sound like, you know, <laughs> flowery. What? I mean, I Ricky, must what do you admit, think? Huh? I must admit, what? both of these readings are quite woo-woo in my personal they opinion. They are. What do you think, Rick? Uh, I agree. They're a little bit both. Of, I mean, Bill was known to be a little bit wordy, um, a great philosophical mind of our time, but... Uh, I think we're going to have to give round five back to the big book, in my opinion. I think it's going undefeated. Um, the part in the 12 and 12 you read that talks about, you know, these these damned up emotions, they rush you at once and then they, they vanquish almost instantly. I, I paraphrase that, but that was not my experience at all. Uh, a lot of those emotions just, they, I had to ride them out uh, for a while. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was a process. It wasn't just I sat down and did a fifth step and all of a sudden all these emotions disappeared. Uh, it was quite the opposite. I think it drug a lot of those emotions out of me and we stayed in them for a good while. Um, the big book, though, on the other hand, one of the lines that I, I turn to in the book all the time with guys that I work with uh, is it it talks about we begin to have a spiritual experience right here. Right. So like. And I'm guilty of it, right? I told you guys I spent five years kind of hanging out in AA, and I never did a fifth step, not an honest one anyway. And uh, But I'd talk to you about how I had this spiritual experience, and, and then three months later, I'd be, you know, back off the wagon. So um, I, I'm a true believer that when you do an honest and thorough fifth step, that uh, that was when I finally got that out Um with my sponsor at the time, that was when I believed that the spiritual experience did happen. I, I actually so much so, and a lot of people find this funny if you know my sponsor at the time, he was one of your guys' guests at one point, but uh, told him I loved him that day. <laughs> because I was just, I was, I was feeling real spiritual. I mean, it, it's just uh, it, to get all that stuff off my chest and like all that stuff where, you know, Bill gets a little wordy that, you know, it feels like we're walking hand in hand with the creator and all. I know what he's trying to do there, right? He's trying to convey a message, but you know, in my own experience, I do believe that that the the spiritual experience began there for me. What do you think, well, Jay Wayne? Well, now, did your sponsor tell you that he loved you back and give you a hug or a reach around or anything like that? <laughs> he, you know what? He didn't. Uh, he looked at me awkwardly. He was standing in his carport. He grabbed his dog and just walked in the house and shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> that's so much as give me a wave or anything that's what i would have expected okay that's good to hear but i'll give him credit like two and a half years later his 40th birthday party he told me he loved me back i waited two and a half years for that okay. but he did reciprocate it so nice all right <laughs> that must have right. been when the damned up emotions of years broke out of their confinement for him <laughs> that's he was exactly able what to happened. just move forward he matched humility <laughs> with serenity that's right yeah. Well, both of these, I mean, they both kind of sound similar. They both talk about withholding nothing and, um, 
but the it's more of the same for me the 12 by 12 reading is just it's just very flowery and <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure out what the word is for it but <laughs> it's um I don't know it's weirder to me all these 12 by 12 readings are what I would say weird that's being kind there's probably a better word the um the big book reading I mean I always you know thought it was a little kind of lofty as well and I've had a lot of people that have given fifth steps that they'll read will read this and then they're like well I don't really feel all that and they think they did something wrong and I don't know that that's always the case. I know people that actually, you know, didn't immediately feel the feeling of uh, being able to look the world in the eye and, and free of fear that have stayed sober for a long time. So I think that the, the the big book reading though is a little more specific, and I do like the uh, the saying there that we begin to have a spiritual experience that we start to feel the nearness of our creator. And I know my own experience when I did the first fifth step, I, I did feel a different connection and, and that, you know, that I was, was kind of a member of the, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous after, after doing it. So I don't know. They're both a little, they both could use a little translating. One Shane? thing that I do like about the 12 by 12 in this reading is where it says many in AA once agnostic or atheist tells us that it was during this stage of step five that he finally felt the presence of God. I just think that that's a very interesting um, statement to make. I'm not saying that it's untrue, but for, for atheists or agnostics that I have personally sponsored, which I've never been atheist or agnostic. So and this is just experience through someone else I've tried to help. Uh, it was definitely not through step five that they started feeling that. I agree so, with that. Um, maybe that is some people's experience. I don't know. Maybe it was more people's experience uh, when the 12 by 12 was written. But it's usually like, wow, why would God put these people through this or have me be the person to act out in these ways to harm other people? And wow, I'm just a piece of crap or whatever. So, um I like that it says that just for me to be able to say, I don't think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> to say my experience I, I, directly conflicts with that. Yeah. Now the I one reading, big book uh, is just more clear, it, you know, it is. because it's like, once we've taken this step withholding nothing. So that tells me that I withheld, like I knew that I needed to put, my mom on all of these lists I knew I needed to make amends to her and I waited longer than Rick you know like I was probably three or four years sober before I even spoke to her at all mm-hmm. and I'm not someone who like I don't regret that I don't know God's perfect timing blah 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 um, but what I can say is that through making other amends I did feel delighted it just may not have been um that exact one yeah well let me ask you this though for both of you are you are you walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe <laughs> that's the... the only reason that, that i think that i am is because there are things that have happened to me today you know happened to me you know that i didn't have 
over the weekend last week. And I immediately am like, wow, that really sucks. Or that person really sucks. But I don't have to act out on it. Yeah. 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 I think the same. Like, I mean, I do better some days than others. Uh, uh, you know, but overall, yeah, I definitely feel like I have a nearness to my creator uh, just because even on my worst days, I can look back at how I handle it and compared to how I would have handled it, you know, five years ago or when I was drinking, um, significant difference. Um, I think there's always room for improvement, but both of you make good points on that too. I think with that, those lofty paragraphs, you know, they sound real nice, but I think with the immense process is when that stuff really, you know, if people would just stick around to that and give it some time, um, yeah, that's when it really set in for me. That nearness to my creator was through immense. Yep. That's right after those damned up emotions <laughs> of years break out of their confinement. That's right. All right. So what do y'all think? Do you, uh, do you want to keep the reading from the big book or would you like to keep the reading from the 12 by 12? Ricky? Man, I'm, I'm, I hate to do it because I always root for the underdog, but I think I got to go with the big book on this one. Right. What do you think, Jay Wayne? I'm going with uh, the big book. Shank? The big book wins round five, so still <laughs> undefeated. Big book. Undisputed heavyweight champ. That's the undisputed champion. <laughs> All right. Well, Ricky, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me again. Yep. And um, if you're out there listening, work those first nine steps and you can realize that your experience can benefit others. And if you want to hear more of Ricky's story, keep listening. Thank you, uh, Max, wherever you went, there he is, uh, for asking me to be here tonight. Uh, Meredith, me and you had a lot in common. Uh, I went to college, too. I chose Wilmington because Greenville looked like trouble. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also spent about five years there and, and left with about 12 credit hours. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, I have a sobriety date. It's probably a good thing to have if you're up here. Uh, it's June 2nd, 2020. Uh, I have a home group, this new inner city group that meets downtown off Hillsborough Street uh, at Hillier Memorial Church on Thursdays at 8 p.m. So if I wasn't here speaking to you guys tonight, I would I would definitely be sitting in that room. Uh, let's see. Uh, sponsor. I got a sponsor here. Uh, so I'm going to try and give, give you guys a humble, honest talk tonight so I don't have to get a, a stern talking to on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, and, and also I have a, I've had the privilege of sponsoring other men uh, in the past couple of years, which when I got here, I didn't see uh, why I needed to help other people. Uh, you know, it was about helping me. I was the one that needed some, some problems solved, you know, and you guys were supposed to give me all these profound things that I could do and, and fix myself. And, and I kept getting this response of pray and find somebody to help. It used to make me angry until I started actually doing it. And, uh, <laughs> Now I see what what uh what benefit that's brought me in my life. The book talks about it being the bright spot of our lives, and you know I really I can't do it any justice. Uh, I can't put it into words how how much that's benefited me. Just giving myself to others. 
Uh, let's see. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to bore you guys with with 15 years of drinking. Uh, we all know how we got there. What I'd like to talk about tonight is just give you like a little snapshot of the last three or four months, uh, what it looked like to me and, and the hopelessness and, and how bad that really got and what that led to uh, when I got here and how things started to change. So I'll give you a little flashback. 2015 was the first time that I walked into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that was court-ordered. I, you know, racked up a few charges, all pertaining to my drinking. If you look at my criminal record, every one of them, drinking was involved. And uh, so the judge thought it'd be a good idea that I come meet a couple of you guys. so I showed up at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in 2015, and, and much like Meredith already shared, you know, I'd, I'd hang out and drink a little coffee, and, and uh, people would try and, you know, give me a big book, tell me to call them, and I, I just wanted you to sign my piece of paper so I could get out of this trouble I'm in, and then, you know, once we get that squared away, I can go back to doing what I want to do. And <clears throat> that continued for five years uh, of court-ordered stuff or the family or the girlfriend, you know, somebody would be on my neck. So I'd come and hang out with you guys for a little while. And I, I use the term hang out because I was not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was not getting involved. I wasn't doing the steps. Uh, I wasn't being of service. I would just come in here and, and sit around and, and then leave just to get people off my back. Like, oh, he's doing good. He's going back to AA meetings. Uh, and the minute that they would take the pressure off of me, I'd start telling myself like ideas of, you know, well, I can just, you know, they won't know. I'll just tell them I'm going to an AA meeting and I'll go have a drink tonight. <laughs> Take a couple Listerine strips and come home and go straight to sleep. I got a headache, you know. Um, all those ideas, right? And the reason why is because I'd come into these rooms and I did nothing to try and grow spiritually. I did nothing to get out of that selfishness and self-centeredness. I wasn't helping anybody. Um, and so I just repeated that cycle over and over again for five years. But one thing I did get out of all those times coming into the rooms was I kept seeing a lot of the same faces. Some people were sticking around, and, and they every time I'd show up, they were saying the same things, right? Like what they had done to stay sober. And so I believed that it, there was something here. Uh, I just wasn't ready. And so what that looked like was that that last year of 2019, I'd, I'd been able to kind of white-knuckle a year of a dry time. I won't even call it sobriety because I was, I didn't really want to be sober. I just didn't want to lose the girlfriend I had at the time, mainly because she had a car and a place. <laughs> and, uh, I'd, I'd be lying to you if I said it was like, I wanted to save the relationship. Like I just, I needed a roof over my head and a car to make moves. Um, <laughs> so just being honest. Um, so I, you know, I uh, I'd put together this year, and, and really, I'd worked hard during that year. Uh, I was pretty miserable during all of it, but I, I had set this goal for myself that, you know, I'm going to get a year. I'm going to get one of those blue chips so that, you know, all these people can give me a pat on the back and be like, congratulations. And, and so I did that. I put that year together, and in that time, not really being active in Alcoholics Anonymous, just hanging out still, and... Uh, I got a good job, I uh, went to some classes, got a state certification, started getting paid really well, put some money away, paid off a vehicle, we got a nice new place, the dog, 
you hear a lot of people get up here at the podium and we list the same things, right? Like, got a house, got the dog, got the car. It's crazy how we think that's going to fix stuff. Because uh, I did. I thought if I just have these things, um, I'll be all right. And, and I attained all that in that year's time. I'm a hard worker. When I set my mind to something, I can go get it. Uh, and so I got it, and, and, and I felt dead inside. Uh, probably I'd had times where I was worse off in my life um, than than that on like the ex- external circumstances, right? If you looked at my life from the outside, I'd been in a lot worse positions than where I was at then. But I had never felt so low and dead inside. And uh, when I start getting like that, I, I only can buy so much time. Um, eventually, the pain gets great enough, and I need some relief. And, and, and what that looked like for me that time was uh, the marijuana maintenance program, right? Like, I know what drinking does. Um, well, a little weed never hurt nobody. And uh, especially nowadays, they make it in, like, little gummies and stuff. Uh, and I found some of those, so I was like, yeah, this is, you know, it's harmless, right? And just eat a couple of Swedish fish and... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, these are the things I tell myself to convince myself that it's going to be okay, right? And, and I do this, and, and it, it worked all right, I guess, right? Like, it gave me a little relief. The problem is it, it, it didn't do what alcohol did for me. Um, and so that bought me another couple months, but I was well on my way out. And I started drinking again shortly after. Um, and what happened was uh, within three or four months... Because when I started this time, like, all hope was gone, man. Like, I'd been coming. I thought, if you asked me then, I'd been trying Alcoholics Anonymous for five years, and it wasn't working for me. So when I went back out this time, you know, I just thought, I'm just different. There's not a chance for a guy like me. And uh, I went harder than I'd ever gone before. Um, And in that four months, I... You know, the girlfriend was done. She had been with me through three or four rehabs, detoxes, and relapses. Um, so that relationship came to an end, and, and the car and the place to stay went along with it. Um, and so then I started hanging out at family members' house, my dad, my grandmother. And the problem is that I, I stopped working. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't get up in the mornings, right, and, and be productive. Like, all my day revolved around was just, you know, getting drunk. And so I, I was hanging around their house, and the, the money ran out. So, you know, then I do what any good alcoholic did, and I started stealing stuff. You know, when I, I, I sold some of my belongings at first, and then I ran out of things that belonged to me. So then I started <laughs> selling other people's belongings. And, uh, and when you do that... People don't want you around, right? Because they worked hard for those things. To me, I'm like, yeah, it's just a ring. Um, <laughs> and so eventually, uh, you know, those doors were closed as well, and, and I, I had nowhere to go. And so I found myself uh, kind of just bouncing around with, with old acquaintances, uh, staying where I could for a few days until they were like, hey, dude, like, you know. <laughs> You got to go. And I had linked up with some old friends that, uh, they were all, they had this, it's funny because I'll tell you, we, we, we had this house, all right, that I don't know if it was abandoned, uh, or if it was owned by somebody or what. I just know that there was about five 
the 10 of us that inhabited this place on any given night. Um, but nobody there owned it or paid rent. So I don't know if maybe a relative did. I just know that it was a place for me to be. And they were all doing a lot of the same things I was doing. So worked out for a while. Uh, we, we were back in Fayetteville, me and Jerry and Aaron, a few of us went down there for Founders Day uh, a few weeks ago. And to get back on the highway, I passed right by the neighborhood that that house is in. So I, I drove by there and took a couple pictures. And it's it's funny because somebody fixed it up a little bit. It looks a little nicer. This, uh, the market's so crazy right now that even trap houses are worth something. So. Uh, <laughs> I got... um. I was, you know, I'm sleeping in this house. I, I say sleeping, but, you know, I would hang around inside. I wasn't doing much sleeping then. There was a lot of outside issues and other things involved. So, um, and when you got 10 people and everybody's on, <laughs> on the same thing, uh, it's, it gets a little hectic. And so what happened was uh, I got tired of them, right? Like, I'm like, I can't stand these people. Like, they're, they're annoying, they're up at all hours of the night, like me sitting here judging them, and like, I'm just as bad, if not worse than most of them, right? But uh, I tell myself that I'm better than that. And so my solution to that was like, I, well, I, I have my truck, I paid that off in that year's time that I kind of white knuckled it. So I'm gonna go sleep in my truck. Um, I didn't realize that I was homeless until I was probably a year sober. You know, I thought that I had a home, right? Because I, I, most nights I slept under some kind of roof. Um, but what it came down to towards the end there was I was sleeping in my truck behind this sandwich shop in Fayetteville, where I'm from. And uh, my day looked like I would wake up, I'd be, you know, um, shaking and I'd have to get something. And uh, I strategically picked the sandwich shop because I could get a, a bag of turkey skins for $2. And then next to it was a convenience store that sold alcohol and cigarettes single still, right? That's hard to find nowadays. Usually, <laughs> most places are law abiding. You gotta buy the whole pack. But this guy would still sell me singles out of the pack. So it was a good, it was a good little operation I had going there, you know? And, and I didn't have much gas. Uh, so I would, I would scheme up ways to get a little money for the day. Um, and I would put two or three dollars in the gas tank. I'd go buy a few loose cigarettes and a bag of turkey skins to put something on my stomach. And then I would drive across town uh, looking for another way to get a few more bucks, right? And then I would end up back at that parking lot every night. And I did that for about two weeks, but I'm, I'm not built for homelessness, guys. <laughs> I, need, I need, like, walls around me or something. I don't know what it is. But uh, I just after about two weeks, I was done, man. And I make a joke of that and... and the reality of it was, is that I had reached that point, like the book talks about, where I couldn't imagine a life with or without alcohol, right? Like, and it says, then he will know loneliness. And I, I thought I'd known loneliness a few times in my life, uh, loss of friends and loved ones and relationships going bad. But I had never felt anything like that. Like, if I wanted to call somebody, uh, they weren't answering Right. I felt completely alone in the world and, and I couldn't imagine quitting drinking at that point. Um, and, and I was just ready to kind of take it to the bitter end. And the book talks about that's when you're at the jumping off place. Right. So, again, I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous for those five years, kind of bouncing in and out. And I had a guy's number in my phone that I'd 
gotten probably two years prior to that. And he would call and try and check in on me and stuff whenever I stopped showing up. And then he would never chase me down there. You know, he would call, reach out once or twice, and, and, and I'd ignore him, and, and then I wouldn't hear from the guy. And uh, I remember sitting in my truck that night and, and not wanting to take a drink, but knowing I wasn't able to stop myself. And, and so I drank, and I'm in tears, and, and, and I just I can't, I can't figure this thing out, man. And I've been trying my, my damnedest to figure out how I can stop this or at least control and moderate it. And I, and I just given up. Um, I called this guy and I'm in tears the next morning. I was a decent human being, though. I waited until like 8 o'clock the next morning. You know? <laughs> when I had this realization that I needed to do something about my drinking uh, because this was this was just the bottom of the barrel for me, um, it was like 3, 4 in the morning. So I sat there, you know, all in self-pity and crying and continued to drink, of course. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Uh, <laughs> And at 8, 8 a.m., I, I called this guy, and it, it rung. I don't even think it rang a whole ring. It, it was half a ring, and he picked up. And the first thing he said was, uh, I've been waiting on this phone call. And he asked me where I was at. Um, and within an hour, that gentleman showed up to that nice parking lot I was inhabiting and picked me up and took me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous again. And, uh, man, I can tell you, when I, when I made that phone call, I knew what was coming, right? Like, he's going to take me to a meeting. He's going to take me and drop me off at detox again. He's going to spend another six months in a rehab. And I didn't really want to do any of that, you know? I, I wanted to quit, um, but but I didn't. I still, even when I started this journey this time, I, I really wasn't that willing, if I'm being honest. Uh, not that day, anyway. And he dropped me off at that uh, detox that night, stayed in touch with me for a couple of days. And after I sobered up a little bit and, kind of shaking it off some and my head started to clear up. I knew that like, this is my last shot. Um, the way this one ended, like I don't, if I go back to drinking, uh, I, I really felt like death was was coming quick. Um, and so I got out of that uh, detox. This was all during, you know, the beginning of uh, the lockdown. So it was like a 24 hour stay there. And I get, I get kicked out of there and, and I ended up in this, uh, treatment center that took me and so this guy he keeps staying in touch with me and, and as I'm in this treatment center and, and my head starts to clear you know like they've been bringing meetings in every day um and, and I'm just kind of sitting in the back still trying to figure out like who I can ask for a cigarette after this is over <laughs> and this this gentleman walks in and he's <laughs> funny because he's dressed a lot like I am today and I couldn't stand the guy mainly because of how he was dressed. I was like, look at this guy. You know? Meanwhile, like, I haven't shaved or gotten a haircut in four months. I've been sleeping in my truck. Like, I hadn't showered in weeks until I got to the uh, detox. So, like, you know, but here I am judging this guy because he's, like, got himself together a little bit. And, uh, but, you know, he chaired the meeting that night, and, and the words that came out of his mouth, like, all those clothes and everything, just, uh, they didn't matter anymore because he was speaking about alcoholism, and, and I knew that he had been exactly where I was at. And after the meeting, I got this guy's number and asked him uh, to sponsor me. And so he, much like Meredith shared, you know, um, that guy took a lot of time out of his his day-to-day -day life, right? He's got a career at this point. He's got family. And, and that guy would show up and meet with me at least once a week, sometimes more. 
Um, and we would read through the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we would talk uh, about these steps and, and what the principles behind these steps were and how I need to start practicing those because he had knew I'd been hanging out in AA for a while. So he said, you know, I think the problem is, is like, you weren't doing any of this, right? <laughs> and I'm like, imagine that. Um, maybe I should try and do some of these things. And so what that looked like for me when I got here, man, is, you know, somebody printed off a sheet of paper at that treatment center that has some prayers on it. And uh, I would sit on the edge of my bed and I'd read those prayers. Uh, and he told me I needed to write some stuff down on the fourth step and, and not leave anything out and then be prepared to tell him everything and be completely honest. And I did those things, you know, we got down, we did a third step prayer. I felt really good. I went back to my bunk that night and I was writing all this stuff down and I wrote everything down. And then I got in front of him for the fifth step and uh, as we were going through it, you know, I'd get to one of those real bad ones and I'd be like, yeah. and the next thing is, and I just conveniently skip over them. And I was just too scared that this guy was going to judge me or um, thinking, you know, less of me. Um, and so, you know, uh, at the end of, you know, he let me go through the whole notebook. And, and at the end, he, he, the book asked us, you know, have we, have we left anything out? Have we omitted anything? And he just paused and stared at me awkwardly for like what felt like an eternity. Um, and then he shared a couple of things off of his fist up and, and that just kind of broke down the barrier, right? Because there was three things specifically that I was holding on to. I would not tell another human being. Um, I, I thought I was taking it to my grave and he listed about five things off of his fifth step. And three of those five are pretty darn similar to the things that I was just so scared to tell this guy. Um, and so I was able to, you know, get honest for the first time and, and work an honest fifth step with this gentleman. Then came the amends a little later, man, and, and I had to uh, go and face everything up until that point was done within Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Other members of AA. Uh, those amends were a lot tougher. Uh, some of them took me, you know, some time really just for them to be willing to accept the amends because um, I had done a lot of damage. So, you know. They weren't trying to hear I'm sorry's and all that stuff. And, and so, and then after we, you know, I made my first three amends, this guy tells me, you know, you need to start raising your hand to sponsor people, finding some sponsees. And I'm like, well, I don't know, man. That seems a little drastic, you know, like <laughs> I'm still working the steps and, you know, I'm giving him all these reasons why I shouldn't do that. And uh, completely just missing the entire message of this book. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that I, at that point I was, you know, reading these prayers off of a sheet of paper. And um, I can't say that when I did my fourth and fifth step and everybody's experience is different. This is just mine. But when I did my fourth and fifth step, I definitely felt this relief of like a weight off my shoulders. Like Meredith put it, like I could breathe again. Um, I don't think I really started to feel this God consciousness that the book talks about until I had to face some of these people that I'd harmed, made some of these amends and some of these relationships were repaired. That's when I started to see God working in my life for the first time and, and could feel it. And uh, the book talks about, you know, there's a part in the back and when I think he's at Bill Dodson's house and his wife asked Bill Wilson, why do you help so many alcoholics? And he says, well, the Lord's been good to me, and I just want to tell as many people about it as I can. 
and and that is where it shifted for me. You know, I had started sponsoring some guys, and and after I started making some of those amends, and things started to happen in my life, man, like I got this fire under me that I wanted to give other people that same experience. Uh, everybody deserved a chance, right? Because, like I said, when I got here, I, I didn't think this thing was going to work. I'd been hanging out in AA for five years. It didn't work any time before. This time, something was different. Something had changed. And uh, there was a little bit of hope that started to show up in my life, right? Um, I can tell you that hope was far from present whenever I was sleeping in that truck um, and, I, and I couldn't stop drinking. And the way my relationships had looked and, and I couldn't keep money in my pocket, just everything, every aspect of my life was in ruins. Um, after coming in here and practicing the principles behind these steps and starting to get into service work, really helping these men, um, that's when I started to realize that, like, I, I wake up in the morning and, like, the promises tell us we'll have peace of mind. Like, I didn't wake up thinking about how broke I am or how I don't have a place to stay or, or all my family hates me and all these things that used to rule my mind. My, my thoughts were focused on what I can do to help others today and how I can try to better myself to get out of this. And, and that was hope for me, right? Um, and that all started because of people like you, right? Everybody that were in these rooms for those five years prior to, I knew that y'all had something going on. And that's why I picked up the phone that night and I called a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because in that five years, like I said, I didn't do much, but the seed was planted. I saw people and I heard the message that they were carrying. And, and that always stuck in the back of my head. And so when that hope started to show up in my life, man, I, I was terrified to let go of it. The things that I was doing to, uh, to receive those things, those blessings, right? And to feel this God consciousness, they were working. And uh, I was terrified to give that up. And so what that looks like a little bit for me today is uh, I still do the same things that I did three, four months sober. Uh, I still sponsor men. I've had a home group this whole time. I've had a service position in that home group, which I think is important because it makes me a member of that group, right? It's not just another meeting that I attend. It's something that I help set up and I, and I you know, I do H&I. I, I have a part in that meeting, a role to play. Um, I build relationships with people in these groups. All these simple things that, that the book laid out that I was missing and thank God for good sponsorship because they guided me along the way. And, and you know, I'm not exempt from anything like like Meredith said. I I still can get back into my head a little bit and get a little selfish and self-centered, and I can I can start catching resentments and that hopelessness starts to come back, right? Like why why am I even doing this stuff? Um, and again, that same those same words that used to make me angry, right? Pray and find somebody to help. Uh, if I really if you get anything out of uh, what I said tonight. I can say that that's probably the simplest way I can put my recovery today is uh, when I wake up in the morning, I just try to find God, find somebody to help. If I do those things every day, I'm in a much better state of mind and I'm probably not going to drink again. Um, it's when I when I stop seeking God and when I stop trying to help people that all those old behaviors and old ways of thinking start to creep back in. And even, you know, today with a couple years sober. I can get right back into that, that restless, irritable, discontent state of mind like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Find God, someone to help. That's all I got. Thanks for listening. 
If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.